do, would you open them to Matthew chapter 6? We're in the middle of a series called Becoming a People of Prayer, and we're trying to learn what Jesus has told us in order to become people that pray. And so we're in a series, we're working our way through it, and we're going to be in verse 10 this morning, the second part of that. From among the finest athletes in the Roman Empire, Nero, ungodly, wicked ruler, selected a group called the Emperor's Wrestlers. Their motto was, We the wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Emperor, to win for thee the victory and from thee the victor's crown. They were soldiers. And they were often sent out on special military campaigns. And many of them, friends, many of them came to Christ. And Nero heard about this and he ordered their commander, Vespasian, to execute any wrestler who refused to renounce Christ and swear military and religious allegiance to him. The emperor's orders were received in the dead of winter. The men were encamped on the shore of a frozen lake. And when Vespasian assembled the soldiers and asked how many of them were Christians, 40 men stepped forward. And hoping not to lose any of them, because many of them were his friends, he gave them until sundown the next day to reconsider. But all of them refused to renounce Christ. And so the commander ordered the 40 men to disrobe and walk naked out onto the ice. All night, the soldiers on shore could hear the 40 sentenced men singing, triumphantly, 40 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory and from thee the victor's crown. The singing grew fainter as morning neared, and at dawn, one lone figure walked back and approached the fire. He confessed his faith was just not strong enough to face death. But Vespasian, who then heard the faint strains of 39 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, was so moved, he threw off his armor, took off his clothes, and he marched out to the ice to join the others. And he shouted as he went, 40 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory and from thee the victor's crown. Friends, what happens to God's people when they latch Onto the purpose of kingdom living. When they realize that praying for God's kingdom to come, this is what we talked about last week, is asking God to powerfully redeem the loss. It's asking God to give his people a divine purpose to live. And it's asking God to hasten the day when he will bring Christ back again. What happens when men and women of God latch onto kingdom living? Well, friends, their understanding and their desire for God's kingdom produces a powerful result in their lives, and it's a life that yearns to live God's will. Look at our text this morning. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, until I studied for this sermon, 
I've read this verse countless times, recited it countless times in church growing up, but I always considered this one of those prayers you pray generally because there's so much evil in this world. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven was always for me this sort of detached, objective prayer that you're supposed to pray because God's will's just not being done. I've learned a lot. Martin Luther called this a fearful prayer. You know why he called it a fearful prayer? Because a person cannot pray this prayer without intending that God changes his own will. See, it's not a prayer asking to know the will of God. It's not some objective general prayer that God would just change the world. It's a prayer that God's will would become my will and I would do it perfectly. It's what Matthew chapter 12 teaches forever. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother friends. It's important that we begin to live out in obedience, the will of God. But friends, listen, this is the third petition. Did you know that? Hallowing God's name's petition number one. That's the first request of the Lord's prayer. Bring your kingdom is petition number two. It's the second one. This one's the third. Your will be done at, on earth as it is in heaven. We are to ask that God's will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But come on, what really Does that mean? Do you know what that means? Well, I'm going to help you understand what that means this morning. And here I'm going to put a little warning label on this sermon. Now listen, I'm pretty sure that some of you are going to come out of this sermon in 25 minutes saying, you know what, I have more questions than Pastor Tim gave answers. To which I would say to you, if you say that to me, thank God. Because who can possibly plumb the depths of what it means to know God's will? What it means that God has a will? I mean, why does a sovereign God who wills experience evil in this world? If God is sovereign, then how can anybody do evil? We're going to try to tackle some of these questions. But friends, my goal, my hope is that you would want to dig that you would want to study your Bible and learn more on your own. I'm going to get you started this morning. What do we learn from your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Number one, here we go. We're asking that we would learn to be obedient. Now, this is not complicated. I don't think anything this morning is going to be complicated. I don't think scripture was meant to be written to confound us. It's to confound the foolish, but those in Christ, God wants to reveal. And he doesn't do it through mathematical equations. It's simply there. The spirit of God can illuminate it for us. We're asking in this prayer that we would learn to be obedient. That's the first point. Have you ever wondered... That if God is the sovereign king of the universe, now hang with me, if he's the sovereign king of the universe, then isn't it a contradiction to pray for his will to be done? Why pray for a king's will to be done if he's absolutely sovereign? God's sovereignty is shouted from the entire scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation 
Yet if God did not act in response to human prayers, then Jesus' teaching on prayer would be futile and it would be meaningless. Doesn't that just make sense? Why would Jesus instruct us to ask of God if asking of God amounted to nothing? Because he's sovereign. The best solution, I think, to get you thinking to this seeming contradiction of a sovereign God and our ability to ask of God is that praying that God's will be done is to first of all ask, here it is, listen, is to first of all ask that he would move in our hearts to desire to do his will. See, we, we have here more plainly than anywhere that prayer's purpose is not to convince, it's not to manipulate God into doing our will, but that our wills would come in line to His. God wants us to learn to be obedient. But you're like me. I mean, come on, how many of you this last week experienced perfect alignment with your will to God's? I didn't. Our squirming, sin-saddled flesh consistently, powerfully seeks to do our wills rather than God's. It is, and it will be on this side of heaven, a battle to put our will to death and obey the will of God. Right? Now listen as I teach you this, please. When we pray... Your will be done. We've prayed it countlessly. When we pray that, we are praying that God's will would become our will. We're asking that God would give us the desire to obey his will. Now you need to know, in the days of Jesus, there were a group of philosophers called the Stoics. And Stoics taught things that, taught that things cannot be changed. So you have to accept God's will and put yourself in line with the whole universe. In fact, Stoics would say to not accept, and this is a quote, to not accept God's will is to refuse his will and to batter your head against the walls of the universe and be wretched and unhappy. So the Stoics taught their disciples to utterly empty themselves of any kind of care. They wouldn't care for themselves. They didn't care for their family. They didn't care for their things. In fact, you begin, here's what they taught. You begin the morning and you break a cup. You go through your day and you tear a robe. You move on in the afternoon. One of your animals die. And in the end, if you can stoically and dispassionately understand that that's just merely God's will, you must resign yourself to accept it. Then in the end, you'll be able to watch your loved ones die and say, quote, I don't care. I will not care for this is the will of God. That's stoicism. I know a lot of Christians like this. Seriously do. Stoic resignation to the inevitable will of God, friends, produces dead obedience. It kills prayer by stripping it of faith. When obedience is separated from right desires, when you take obedience and you peel it away from right desires to obey, it becomes empty powerless religion, and it's mired in shame and guilt and manipulation. 
God just doesn't want obedience. You know that, right? It's an upright, contrite heart that he wants. He wants us to want to obey him. Can I reverse engineer that? Now listen, please. If we don't obey God, it's because we don't want to. And when we don't want to obey God, it simply and horribly means that we love something more than God. We've seen the destructiveness of Stoicism, but there's another extreme. It's it's the opposite extreme. In fact, Elton Trueblood writes this, in some congregations, the gospel has been diminished to the mere art of self-fulfillment. Watch a lot of TV preachers, and you're going to see this. You want to know who they are? Some of them I can tell you, come down and ask. These people treat God as a cosmic vending machine, and their quarter to activate the machine is prayer. In a poem entitled The Prayer for God's Will, Amy Carmichael wrote, And shall I pray to change thy will, my father, until it accord to mine? But no, Lord, no, that shall never be. Rather, I pray thee, blend my human will with thine. That is what he, he's bent. This is what God is doing. He's creating in our hearts a desire to do his will. He's blending our wills with his. So we would want what he wants. So we would hate what he hates. So we would live obediently to his commands out of a heart that desires to. Don't you know a lot of Christians that are so motivated by fear of God? If I don't have my quiet time this morning, then bad things are going to happen to me this day. So they obey, they have their quiet time, not merely because they want to, but because they have to or they live in fear. Friends, the result of God blending his will with ours is a greater experience, a greater display of kingdom living. There are not too many passages more clear in scripture that teaches this blending, this creating of a desire to do God's will than Philippians 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here it is. Now, don't mistake this. Don't overlook it. For it is God who works in you to do what? Look what it says. To will, to want, to desire, and to work for his good pleasure. So to work for his good pleasure is the obedience that comes when God creates in us a desire to do his will. Lord, your will be done is a prayer. God, give me the desire to do your will. Lord, change our hearts so that your will becomes our will, so that your will be done. But there's more. There's a second half to this this part of the verse. It says, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Do you know, friends, what it looks like in heaven for God's will to be done? Have you ever, you ever learned what heaven looks like in terms of God's will? I can show you Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, 
Oh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. You see, in heaven, friends, listen, in heaven, the overriding, the prevailing desire is to bless the Lord. What it means to bless the Lord is to bring honor to God, glorify God, love God supremely, place God as more important than anything or anyone else. But in heaven, the chief desire of the angels is to bring God glory, to honor Him, to bless Him, to bestow on Him their favor. But listen, out of that desire, look what it says, out of that desire, they live obediently. They do God's will. There's no arguing, there's no vacillating, there's no stoicism, there's no cosmic vending machine. This is what we're asking God for in this prayer. God, help us, help us that we would live unwaveringly, completely, sincerely, willingly, fervently, readily, swiftly, constantly. Help us to live out your will on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer for God to change our hearts so radically that we would not vacillate in our desire, that we would not argue with God, that we would not question his motives, that we would live out his will to all those around us. So here's my question. Why don't we pray? Christians, I'm talking to you. Why don't we pray with this kind of boldness, this kind of effectiveness, this kind of confidence? There's been more than a few believers who have simply lost their confidence in the power of praying because they've wondered why, if God is sovereign, why is his will not done right now? I had somebody even this morning tell me, you know what, I've really wondered and begun begun questioning why to pray. God's going to do what God's going to do. Why do I even want to pray? I'm going to teach you this morning three distinct aspects of God's will. As he reveals it to us in his word, I'm only going to briefly scratch the surface. I'm hoping you're going to study more of this on your own. But the first one is what you might call God's will of purpose. God's will of purpose. Friends, listen, this is God's ultimate will. This is called the high sovereign view of God. It means that God is going to work out all things according to his purposes. Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. This is God's will of purpose. Sin might run its course, friends. Satan's going to have his day, but there will be a time when God brings both sin and Satan to an end exactly according to his plan and foreknowledge. There's a second distinction in God's will. It's what could be called God's will of desire. So first you have God's will of purpose. That's his sovereign ability to bring all things into his plan, into the completion of his plan. But secondly, you have his will of desire. Unlike God's will of purpose, God's desires, friends, listen, they're not always fulfilled. Now, Pastor Tim, that's heresy. Is it? Doesn't Luke 13, 34 say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets 
and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. Jesus wanted his people to come together in faith and worship and believing and trusting him as the Messiah, but they would not. That was his desire. It was unfulfilled at that time. All right, let's think a little more modernly. Divorces, lies, murders are all things that God hates and detests. It's not God's pleasing will that that people should die. Or why would Christ have come to destroy death? God, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, he's not pleased. When anyone rejects him and chooses their way to hell. God never desires, friends, that a child would be abused. He never ever delights in drunk drivers that rob families of their fathers. But despite his desires, they often go unfulfilled. That's his will of desire. But there's a third distinction. Not only does he have a will of purpose, he has a will of desire, he has a will of command. God's will is what he commands us to do. Friends, listen, you want to know God's will of command? Just look in the word because it's made clear in his scriptures. It's his powerful desire from his heart that his children obey him completely and immediately from a willing heart. That's what his will of command is. Romans 6, 17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. Now listen, I want you to see this. Look at the underlining. Have become obedient from where? Their lungs? From their mind? From their time in church? From their heart? to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Friends, God's will of purpose assures us. Now listen, I know this might, some of you might be getting confused. Let me bring it in clarity. God's will of purpose assures us that while we often do not see it, God's in absolute, sovereign, complete control. But what about bad, difficult, People and painful things that have happened in my life, were they part of God's will? Now listen. In a basic, ultimate, fundamental way, the evil that has been done to you is not part of His will of desire. Did you hear that? Do you know how many people I've talked to that have gone through abuse as a child? Dozens and dozens. Hundreds, including my work in psychiatric. That was never part of God's will of desire. He never, ever delighted in any of that. God hates sin. He hates abuse. He hates to see his people suffer, and he desires that no one should inflict it. He's made his desires clear through his commands in the word of God. We're to honor one another. We're to love one another. We're to recognize that all of humanity bears the image of God. It's respectable. It's redeemable. It's of worth to him. 
Yet his will of purpose, now listen, while able to stop that evil, allowed it for reasons that, friends, we don't know. We don't understand. But we need to learn to trust him for. I think I've had at least 50 Probably more people ask me, Pastor Tim, why did that happen to me as a child? Why did I lose my son or daughter? Why did this accident have to occur? Why did I get cancer? I don't think, even in my immature, more immature, young pastoring days, that I ever had an answer. Other than God does not delight in it. God's commanded how we live through it. And God's purposing to bring it back to your best interest in His glory. And while He doesn't desire these atrocities that are being committed in this world, and listen, instead of tyrannically forcing people to do His will, He does a work in their hearts. You gotta hear this. He does a work in their hearts so that they can, their desires are changed away from selfish will and toward His. He does this by giving us new birth through Jesus Christ. He creates a new man from the old one. He gives new desires that crave, that love, that desire, that want His righteousness and obedience. God begins to powerfully change our desires through His Word, by the power of the Spirit of God, for the glory of God Himself, by enabling us to want to live His will. His will is done on earth as it is in heaven, person by person who turns to Him in faith and begins to live in desire-filled obedience. Elizabeth Elliot says, to experience the glory of God's will for us means absolute trust. It means the will to do His will, and it means joy. Friends, this is how those in the kingdom of God have the strength to endure in this hostile world. Lord, we pray, bring your purposes in this world. Even through the evil that I've had to suffer, let me know, God, that you desire and will turn things to my good and make me more like Christ and help me to want your will. Give me the desire to live it that I might live obedient here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the way Jesus lived. Look what it says. John chapter 4, Jesus said to them, my food, my sustenance, my driving need is to do the will of him who sent me and do what? and to accomplish His work. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had right desires that produced active, righteous obedience. So what are we praying? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here it is. I'm going to sum it up so simply. You could have snoozed during this entire sermon, of which I will perpetually hold you under my judgment. But here is what it says. You ready? Listen. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you will bring all things under your dominion, power, and purpose. So listen, God, please start with me. Blend my will to yours that I might have the hope of living in obedience with you. Start with me, God. 
I'm not praying this anymore generally for everybody else in the world. Your will be done is me. This is a personal prayer for me. Extend your reign to those who have hurt me, those who have who caught up in sin or under the dominion of Satan. Let me free them. Let me participate with you. Let me co-labor with you because I'm living rightly with you doing your will. Use me, God, to declare and live out the power of the kingdom of God and the hope of glory to rescue those who are lost and to bring about the fulfillment of your desires. Father, change my heart so that I will do what you desire. Friends, we pray this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that prayer, listen, this is my final statement. We're praying, God, change me so that you can use me to accomplish your will on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's begin praying that rightly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for your word. It's so simple. It's not simplistic. It's not cheapened. It's simple. It makes sense when the Spirit of God illuminates it. We don't have to go to seminary. We don't have to have collegiate degrees to be able to know the mind of God. We can all be students of your word. And Lord, I pray that we would, that you would open up your truths. And Father, let us pray your prayer that you have taught to us and let us pray for your will to be done and know that in praying for that, we're praying that you change our desires that we would want to do your will. Lord, do that work in our hearts. May the word of God transform us. May the power of God through the spirit of God change us and may we live for the glory of God, hungering after obedience to do the will of our Father. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this building. Lord, I include myself in this prayer. Lord, I pray that you would let your will be done in us. Lord, let the kingdom of God be expanded because we're living in obedience to you and the people of the world are absolutely astounded. How can we have this hope? How can we have this joy? How can we have this peace? The answer is because Jesus Christ lives in us. Lord, use us for your purposes and let us desire for your change. In Jesus' name, amen.